0: Welcome to Skills for Life, a podcast about high-demand jobs that are shaping future opportunities. This show is brought to you by the North Shore Schools Foundation. I'm Kira Dorian, your host and a North Shore mom. Let's get started. Okay, today on the show, we have Neetha Candlewall. She is an associate professor in the Department of Anesthesiology and Pain Medicine at the University of Washington. Neetha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to speak with you, and already, even before we hit record, I learned something new, so I'm going to start by just having you give us a little sense of of what you do, and in particular, this is what really fascinated me, the difference between what you do at a teaching hospital versus a non-teaching hospital.
1: Sure. Sure. So I'm an anesthesiologist um, with specialty training in critical care medicine. So I not only take care of patients in the operating room, I also take care of patients in the intensive care units. I work at Harborview Medical Center, which is part of UW Medicine and University of Washington, um, and it is the only level one trauma center for the region. So I spend a lot of my time in the trauma intensive care unit and also the neurosciences intensive care unit.
0: Wow. And so can you tell us a little bit about how you ended up there? You know, what was the the path that you were on and how did your interests take you in this direction?
1: Sure. So I um, went to college at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., and um, I was really interested in public health and international health. I had spent some summers working at the World Health Organization. I I actually initially thought I would go into a little bit more of a health policy route, um, but I decided to apply for medical school, and I felt like a good, solid clinical background and really kind of understanding what it means to be a physician and practice medicine is so important to relate that to policy development. And so I applied for medical school and I went to medical school in Chicago. And during my years in medical school, I really loved physiology and I really loved taking care of very high acuity patients. And so I became very interested in Anesthesiology and in critical care medicine. And so after medical school, I did my residency at Northwestern in Chicago in anesthesiology. And then I moved to Seattle um, to do a fellowship in critical care medicine at University of Washington. And after I finished my clinical fellowship, I did a two-year master's program um, in pharmacoeconomics. And the reason I did that is I was planning to an am in a track that is known as a physician-scientist track, meaning during the time I'm not taking care of patients, I do scientific research um, and I do clinical research. And, you know, that is a a common pathway that's often seen at a teaching hospital or a university
0: setting. Wow, that sounds like a lot. (laughs) That sounds like you don't sleep. Do you sleep? (laughs) I do. <laughs> I also have two little kids that I spend lots of time with. So <laughs> Oh, wow. That's so that's lovely to hear that you can do all of that and and still be able to have a family and feel like that's somewhat in balance. That's great to hear. Okay, so tell me a little bit about how the field is changing and evolving. And I know that I like I ask every guest that question, but I feel like it's really loaded asking a medical professional that question right now. <laughs> you know, how's the field evolving and since it exploded in the past couple of years? But how do you see the next five to 10 years in medicine, but particularly in, in the slice that you're in, evolving as our students are going to kind of come into the field? What do you think they're going to be coming into?
1: I think innovation is going to continue to really drive medical technology um, and advances in therapeutics and diagnostics and our ability to do more advanced operative interventions, our ability to take care of higher and higher acuity patients. You know, I think that is going to continue to happen in the field. But what I also think is going to happen that I often think is not thought about is that there's the field is transforming in the sense that there's more and more emphasis on patient and family values and preferences, and that we as physicians really take the time to understand our patients and family members, and that the type of medical care we provide improves the outcomes that they care about. So I think in addition to all the advances that are going to happen in medicine and science over these next couple years, we're also going to see a shift where there's increasing attention on quality of life and the outcomes that are important to the patients and the family members that we take care of.
0: That's fascinating. Can you give me an example, you know, just like what that might look like when you're working with a patient and how you'd be applying that? Yeah. For example, in the intensive care
1: unit, um, you know, we take care of very, very, very sick patients and many patients who are nearing the end of their life. And a big part of my job is spending time talking to family members of patients, what we call goals of care discussions, to try and get to know the patients that we're taking care of because they're often on life support and not able to communicate with us. And we spend a lot of time talking to family members and explaining, you know, what is happening, what the different options are for treatment, what the anticipated outcomes are. And, you know, what we find is oftentimes for patients nearing the end of their life, they don't want the highest intensity of care. They don't want to pass away in a hospital, you know, on a mechanical ventilator. Um, And so really part of our job is not just doing all of the medical interventions we can do, but making sure that what we do is for an outcome that that specific patient and family member consider to be a priority. And oftentimes we find that we shift our focus and focus on comfort more than longevity.
0: Wow. So you have to have an incredible bedside manner for the field of medicine that you're in if you're working with families in that way.
1: Yes. I mean, these are, these are some of the, the most vulnerable times that family members find themselves in. And as you can imagine, it's a, a very, very stressful period. And so, you know, being able to have that connection is really important and being able to, to communicate well and, and have empathy, I think are really important skills for this field.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the skills that students need. What kind of person suits this job? You know, what kind of skills? I and mean, we talked about empathy and compassion, and I love that. What else do you think would make somebody successful in this field, just, you know, in terms of their personality or the skills that they develop over their educational journey?
1: Sure. You know, I think that, I mean, the first thing I think is that you have to really enjoy working hard. I think um, the training is long. The training is really rigorous. And I think what carries you through that type of training is that you really love what you're doing. I think, you know, specifically for anesthesiology and even more specifically for intensive care medicine, loving, you know, physiology and loving high acuity situations, carrying patients through very vulnerable times, but maintaining an ability to be calm, uh, maintaining an ability to see the big picture. You often have problems going wrong with multiple different organ systems at the same time. You have to really be able to, to synthesize that. So I think a love of science, a love of physiology, and really a love of lifelong learning because the field is constantly changing. And, you know, what we did a couple years ago is not necessarily what we do now. Um, so the ability to constantly adapt. And then as you mentioned, you know, compassion and empathy are so key, I think, in the entire field of medicine. And I think that having a well-rounded education that also has a focus in humanities and learning how to communicate and interact with people is really important as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's really that's really important, I think, for our parents and students to hear. So if somebody's interested in pursuing this, what kind of things should they be doing right now? What classes should they be taking in high school? What, you know, universities should they be thinking about going to? Should they be volunteering? You know, if you were going to give your younger self some advice, knowing what you know now, (laughs) what would you say that they should be thinking about?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I would definitely say that having a well-rounded education, so you do need a lot of science classes and you want to have a really strong science background, but you also need to to have a strong background in humanities. And I think, you know, that helps you develop and understand the human condition, which is, you know, what you're treating as a physician. So I think science classes, in addition to English and social sciences, I think all of that is really important. And I think, Getting exposed to the field um, and clinicians in the field is really important to, to have an understanding of what life is like. And so I think reaching out to local hospitals, to their volunteer departments is a great idea to get connected early on and get some hands-on exposure. I think, you know, talking to medical students and, and, you know, medical students often know residents. I think talking to people at different times during the training also gives a lot of insight into to what it's like, what the journey is like.
0: Is there anything else that would give students an edge trying to get into medical school and into this profession? Because I can say just from the outside, I've always thought of this field as particularly competitive. So any advice there besides, I mean, it sounds like volunteering and doing all of those things, getting that insight would help. Is there anything else you'd recommend?
1: I think that having an understanding um, of the commitment that it's going to take to be in this field is really important. And I think that comes through when we read personal statements and we see people who have really had life experiences that have molded and shaped them and have led them to an interest in this field. Um, I think an ability to get interested in research is always a great opportunity. Um, I think it's always helpful when you apply to have that experience, but it also gives you that experience and insight into that aspect of medicine as
0: well. Wow. That's really, that's really nice to hear, you know, that, that beyond just your grades or the classes that you take, that your own personal life experience can actually give you the edge and make you more compelling as a candidate.
1: Right. You know, I think that it is very competitive and I think good grades, good grades in your science classes, you know, good test scores, that's all absolutely necessary. And I think that is kind of the bar you need to get through to be considered. And then I think what differentiates applicants after they meet that bar are their personal and life experiences.
0: Awesome. All right. I have to ask you, what's your favorite thing about your job? <laughs> you know, I love the variety. I love that a one week, you know,
1: I'm in the the trauma surgical intensive care unit at Harborview, um, taking care of really interesting cases. And during that week, not only am I taking care of patients, I'm teaching medical students, I'm teaching residents, I'm giving lectures. And then you know, the next week, I'm um, working on my research. you know, I do a lot of research that's at the intersection of, health economics and intensive care medicine and end-of-life care in the ICU. And so I'll spend, you know, that week working on my research and working with a great team, recruiting patients and family members for different research studies. Um, so I really enjoy that I have a lot of variety and that being in an academic and university setting, you're always in a, in a stimulating and engaging environment.
0: I love it. Well, Neetha, thank you so much for joining me today and just giving us this amazing peek into the world that you work in. It was just such a pleasure to speak with you.
1: Oh, thank you so much. My pleasure.
0: We hope you'll join us again. And remember to hit subscribe to be notified about upcoming episodes. Join the conversation on our Facebook page, Build Skills for Life. That's Build Skills, the number four, and then the word life. To learn more about the North Shore Schools Foundation, visit us at NorthShoreSchoolsFoundation.org. Thanks for listening.